Welcome to Trust Tree Talks, a podcast that connects a tribe of kick-ass women doing what it takes to make their lives shine. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Holmes and Lisa Shower. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're here. We've officially launched season two of Trust Tree Talks during an unprecedented pandemic, an economic collapse and racial reckoning and all the ripple effects from those monumental changes. Our lives have shifted and we know yours have too. We're spending this season exploring how a new normal might unfold and adding tools to our toolbox for coping and growing in this new chapter for all of us. Women who are innovating and finding new pathways forward will be sharing their stories with us. Since our founding, we've tried to embody the Reese Witherspoon quote, we are changing the stories by changing the storytellers. We intend to highlight the extraordinary stories found in every woman that challenges us to think nourishes our soul and energizes our bodies. In our first episode, we fully embrace just how uncomfortable we are in this moment of change. We are reluctantly open to transforming what it means to be normal, and we are excited to talk with Pamela Scholzvik. Pamela is the author of Death Becomes Us, and her brand new book, to be released soon, is called Forever 51. She has been published in literary journals, won, placed, and been honorably mentioned in several writing contests. She has also appeared on NPR's Think with Chris Boyd. Pamela is transforming her new normal by turning online. She founded the 2020 Quarantine Book Club to support first-time authors in getting publicity and ended up with a vibrant community. Off the page, she is a mom, wife, book preservationist, knitter, activist, and animal lover. We're so happy Pamela joined us for Trust Tree Talks. Okay, so let's get started. I think we always like to start with your backstory. So can you tell us a little bit about Pamela and um, maybe how what drove you to become a writer? I've always been drawn to story but it wasn't until I was in my mid thirties that, you know, I had a party bus business in San Francisco and yeah. That sounds cool. <laughs> I think there's some stories there. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more about the party bus. Well, okay. I graduated college and my sister had actually started this party bus uh, business and She had gone to school to become a financial consultant, and she was tired of being, I think, the the party girl taking people out in San Francisco. And I had just finished college, and she's like, do you want to buy this business? And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) And so I did, and, you know, I'm a big introvert, and so taking people out partying, I was not the party girl. I was like, the cat herder lady, like, <laughs> like <laughs> all these drunk women into clubs. And I was like, this is driving me crazy. It was not a natural fit, but I, you know, I was pretty good at it. I was good. I think at the marketing aspect of it. And, you know, if I would have just kept that website, cause this was right when the internet was like really taking off and I got the website threebabes.com. <laughs> so, so a lot of people would contact me wondering what exactly the three babes did on the bus. <laughs> I was like, um, nothing really. We listen to music <laughs> and it's fun. So I left San Francisco and I was running the business remotely from Colorado and 
I just, I wasn't feeling it anymore. And I was, I was, I guess I was having an early midlife crisis. And I was like, you know what? I want to go to grad school. I needed permission to write, I guess. I needed like the validation of a degree to say, okay, you're going to get two years to focus on writing. And so that's what I did. So sold the business and then went to grad school. And I was approaching 40. I think I was 38 when I went to grad school. And I had published a few things prior to that um, in literary journals. But, you know, I felt like I had a book in me. So I wanted to to go write it. And I did. Well, we have to ask, tell us about your book. The first book, um, it all, I mean, I went in, it was, this was a creative nonfiction program. So I was going to school with journalists and people who I felt were like way smarter than me. So I really didn't know what I was going to write. I thought I was just going to write about my family because I have sort of an unusual family And I'd written like in the first semester about them. And I was like, this is too easy. I need to, to be challenged. And my subject came very, I guess, serendipitously. I had a meeting with my writing mentor and I, my kids were fairly young at the time. So I had them watching TV and I'm waiting for her to call and she doesn't call And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll just call her. So I call her number and a funeral home answers. And I was like, well, that was weird. So I hang up, apologize, or I apologize and hang up. And then I'm like, okay. I pressed her number very carefully, (laughs) you know, paying attention. And I get the funeral home again. And so I'm sitting there waiting for her to call me, thinking about, you know, gosh, funeral homes. Who'd want to work in a funeral home? I could just not do that. That would be having to deal with people's grief and dead bodies. And And then my mentor finally called me and I was like, do you live in a funeral home? And she said, no, but when I'm on the phone, my landline and somebody attempts to call me, it gets diverted to this funeral home and I don't even know where they're at. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. And she had been on the phone her favorite author, David Foster Wallace, had killed himself, and she had just found out, and that's what she was talking about. So she was talking about death, and I was thinking about death, and I was, then we got on the subject of funeral homes, and she's like, well, you know, why don't you go find out what kind of people work in a funeral home as, you know, just explore that for the rest of the semester, and I was like, okay. I can do that. I mean, I was extremely fearful because it meant that I would have to step out of my comfort zone and actually leave my house and go meet people and, you know, act like I knew what I was doing. And and I really didn't. I just, you know, you have to fake it till you make it. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go with my little tape recorder that I don't really know how to work. And (laughs) and I'm going to talk to you about your job. So that's what I did. (laughs) My first interview, I think, was with an embalmer, and he got into it because he was afraid of death. And then that led to an interview with a coroner, and then um, I interviewed a hospice nurse, and then a woman who volunteered to take photographs of babies who died at birth for this organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. And then I'm like, I got this idea, I would like to talk to someone who knows the day they're going to die. 
Um, because even when you're terminal, you don't know that date. And I'm like, the only person who knows that is someone who's going to commit suicide or someone who's going to be executed. And I didn't want to, you know, obviously a suicide. No. So I, I looked on the Texas Department of Criminal Justice's website for like the scheduled executions in the next couple of months. And I wrote to the least scary person that was going to be scheduled for execution. And he wrote me back and said, nope, I can't. My lawyer says I have stuff pending, so wouldn't be a good idea. But then a couple of weeks before he was executed, he's like, well, I lost all my appeals. If you still want to talk to me, come on out. I was like, uh, <laughs> oh, no, okay. And that's when, I won't swear, but stuff got real. Um, that's when I finally... It wasn't just talking to people who worked with it in their profession. It was someone who was actually facing it. So I, I went to Texas and talked to him on the day he was executed. And it was, it was life-altering for me. I would have to say that that first book, which eventually became Death Becomes Us, it was, it was a way for me to come to terms with my own mortality because I didn't really have anyone close to me other than my grandmother who had died and I was approaching 40 and so I had a lot of anticipatory grief and um, it was just a way for me to to see how others were dealing with it and then how I eventually spoiler alert someone close to me does die at the end of the book so it was a very I mean it was a very healing project I mean not like I uh, it's a it became a bestseller I think death is a really hard sell we're a death avoidant culture but that book was prescriptive for me. It helped me to grow as a person by writing it. So do you find yourself now, did it just change your outlook? I mean, do you embrace life? I mean, do you see the impermanence in a different way? Oh, definitely. I mean, I used to, if I knew, like, let's say your mother had died and we worked together and I knew that prior to me writing this book, I would avoid you because I want. I'm. I was like a person like, I want to be able to fix this and there's no way to fix anyone's grief. So because I couldn't fix it, I would avoid you because I didn't want to deal with the uncomfortable feelings that you were having and the uncomfortable feelings that ultimately I was going to have by being in your presence. Now I'm kind of a person that people feel fairly safe to talk to about death and grief. And I feel very blessed that, that people feel that way because I think we all need that person or persons in our lives that, you know, we can, you know, because I'm not going to fix your grief, but you can certainly talk to me about it. And a lot of times people just need to talk. They don't need for a solution to, you know, be brought forth. They just need someone to say, I'm hurting and <laughs> I would like to eat some food and I can go, okay, <laughs> let me get you some food. <laughs> I think that normalization of death and grief is so missing in our culture right now where we shuttle people off to the hospital to die. And it's not, it's just not ingrained in the fabric of our culture. No, um, it is not. It is. I mean, look, everyone, we're in a pandemic right now and so many people are dying yet. Some people think it's a hoax somehow <laughs> when it's very real. It's like maybe because it's not in, you know, they can't see it or something. But it's like, yes, death is 
uh, our one guarantee in life. And I think the quicker we can become accepting of it, um, the better our lives can be because it's not this fear that we're avoiding, you know. And I think that it it lends a little nudge to us, like uh, you better get living because this is eventually what's going to happen and you never know when it's going to happen. We're not all going to get that death in our sleep in our 90s, you know. It could very much happen when you're 32 and, you know, you go to the grocery store and catch a virus. Yeah, it's really present, right? It's very present right now. And our that whole um, hoax, I think, just underscores like our desperate need to avoid death. Like people would rather believe it's a hoax than really look at their mortality, it feels yeah. like. I find it interesting that your first book dealt with death and now your upcoming novel is about the undead. So how can you tell us a little bit about Forever 51, which I am, I'm excited to read this book. Like this is the kind of, when I read a description like this, I'm like, at this point in my life, I'm like, thank God somebody's writing a book for me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm undead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I'm undead. And I, um, I'm going to be forever 50 because I'm not even going to step into 51. The fact that I wrote a book about a vampire is really silly to me. I write personal essays. I write the truth. And I think that in a way that this book was the only way I could tell parts of my story. And, you know, I'm not a vampire, but I certainly parts of myself and my story and like the, the fear of growing older. And, you know, I, I know how as women, as we grow older, we become invisible in American culture. It's like, we're no longer, can I swear on this podcast? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Feel free. Yeah. <laughs> we are no longer <laughs> fuckable you know, and then that is once we hit a certain age and then, you know, we have made menopause this like another taboo topic. It's like, we don't talk about menopause. And if it is mentioned, it's like this horrible thing or it's a joke. Whereas, you know, all women are going to go through it if they're lucky enough to reach a certain age. And I think uh, women of that age need representation. They need to see themselves reflected in that media. And I don't think that aspect of a woman's life is. I mean, I'm looking each week trying to find, you know, where what what shows have a storyline with a menopausal character or, uh, or a movie? You know, why isn't this being addressed? Is it just too icky? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I wanted to write a book to talk about that. I mean, it's fun. It's not, a, I mean, it's, it's dark humor. And then some aspects of my first book make their way into it. Like the main character is a hospice nurse. Um, and that's how she is able to get her blood supply. She has, is sort of an angel of death and um, helps people. So she has, you know, ethical sources of blood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> locally sourced. <laughs> <laughs> There is a lot of death and undead and, you know, she wants to be able to die with dignity. That ultimately that's what she wants because in this book, um, being immortal is not cool. It's, you know, it's what makes life cool is that it's going to end. And that's what gives you the 
push to enjoy it because it's not going to be here forever. So I think that is ultimately what I wanted to say with that novel. I love that. I love how it builds on your first book too, in a surprising way. (laughs) They are like, so like (laughs) two of these things don't belong together. (laughs) I'm like, I kind of question, should I publish it under a different name? Because, you know, it's so vampire books aren't cool. I don't know. I think that the publishing world has had enough of vampires because it is such an oversaturated market. Um, but this one, this one is a different book. I would think the angle of a 51-year-old vampire would be more appealing as opposed to more Twilight fanfic. But we'll see. I th- yes, <laughs> right? we'll see. I mean, because, I, I mean, <laughs> I actually read the first Twilight book because actually when I went to Goucher where I got my first MFA in creative nonfiction, there was an article in the USA Today about this phenomenon of twilight and you know all the people are just loving it and i'm like well i want to see why and you know i read it and i was like yeah i can see why you know a bookish kind of klutzy girl is you know gets the sexy vampire interested in her yeah so i remember when the movie came out i i sat in a movie theater by myself because i couldn't get anyone to go with me and I was surrounded by teenagers, and I was like this older woman by myself, the creepy, you know, woman watching the Twilight film by myself. And I think a lot of women, older women, were also big fans of that book, not just the YA audience. So maybe those women are now ready to see themselves reflected in a vampire story where they get to be the hero of their own life instead of the sparkly vampire coming in. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And that's November. Is that yep. out in November? Okay. Remember, remember the 5th of November. That's when it comes out. Okay, 5th of November. And you know, all our listeners, those pre-sales are important. So if you can pre-sale, pick that up. So let's uh, move into the 2020 quarantine book club. Okay. We go into pandemic. So my guess is you're finishing up your book, your novel, and your looking forward to your publishing date and thinking that you're going to do this traditional marketing and PR for your book and get it out there. And whoops. Whoops. Yeah. I was actually right in the middle of um, scheduling my book launch party at the Fort Worth public library in downtown. Great building. They had a great space and you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to make these little donuts with the vampire teeth and all these <laughs> things to make it fun. And and then everything happened. And I work in a public library. And one of my friends who had her book coming out, she canceled her event. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And I was in a part of this 2020 debuts group on Facebook, and I saw all these other authors. It's like, this is real. All these events are being canceled, and these people have put so much of their lives into, you know, not only writing the book, but then getting an agent and then, you know, selling that book. And it is like a huge, long process to get a a book to come out into the world. So I felt initially like I wanted to help. One, I wasn't working at the library. And two, 
I thought, well, if we're going to go online, Facebook is a great place to do it. You know, let's just start a book club, you know, for some of these authors. And, and I thought maybe, you know, I'd get 50 people to want to partake, but it just took off. I couldn't believe it. I got, I, I think what really pushed it up was that I got on Fox News in Dallas. So I did a remote interview with them. And once that happened, people see something on TV and they're like, oh, I want to join, you know. And now we're at, I think, 1,431 people who are in the club. And we pick a book a month. Or last month we had two books and we, you know, we discuss the book and then we have a live Q&A with the debut author and ask them questions. And so I think that people really like this. People like being able to get to know the author a little bit. Some of the authors have come in and, you know, they'll talk about, you know, the book when somebody posts something um, and they'll respond. And so, you know, people like getting to know the author and then being at the live Q&A event. It's been a great learning experience for me because I've had to learn technology and <laughs> a little bit of marketing yeah. and how to run a Zoom. Although my sister-in-law, Amy and Nancy, my sister-in-law is Nancy, but her sister, Amy, they have helped me with doing the production side of the Q&A. And we've tried different you know, StreamYard and all these other things, but we found that Zoom works the best. So yay, Zoom. Yeah. Zoom, <laughs> Zoom is, they have so much business now. <laughs> they are so popular. <laughs> they are. So we're interviewing Amy and Nancy this week, and we've, for season one, we interviewed uh, their sister, Beth. So we're big fans of those Harrington sisters. They know mm -hmm. their stuff. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. So was your thought going into it was just to provide a, a space? Yeah, just, you know, I have an in real life book club and I just thought, well, we can, I don't want to meet anyone in person. And I thought, well, if we just have a Facebook group and it'll be run just like an in real life, you know, we pick the book, we talk about it, you know, it'll be simple. I mean, I had no idea that, you know, people were really looking for an escape. And books offered that escape. So I think, I don't know, I don't know the numbers, but I think probably Zoom and book sales have been pretty good during this pandemic. People looking for ways to fill their time while they're at home. Yeah, I know my personal book sales have been, have been through the roof. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I do try to support those independent booksellers. Our friend Billy Best was your one of your books last month, and I I saw your I watched your Facebook live with her, and she's she's so great. I mean, her interview is so great, and we had a fun talk with her uh, on the podcast about menopause. So, like circling back to that, <laughs> um, she's a good one to talk to about that because she's no filter there, right? Mm -hmm. So, how do you choose the authors? I pulled from the 2020 debut group on Facebook. And when I started it, I just wanted to pick a book that was coming out in the next couple of days. So the first book was The Mountain Sing by Kwe Mai. I know her by her first name, Kwe Mai. Mm -hmm. And it, it just turned out to be like the perfect first book. I mean, people loved it. She was just 
always posting in the group and she just made everyone just, I don't know, we just felt a part of it. And then after that, we started voting and it was from all the 2020 debut groups. So like if they had a book coming out or had come out in the past couple of weeks and they wanted to be a part of it, then we would let people vote. But then it got kind of... You know, people would just invite their friends in to come in and vote for their book. And then I had some authors contacting me and saying, this isn't fair. This isn't a popularity. I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to do something nice. (laughs) And people have to ruin it. So then I'm like, you know what? We're just going to do random generator from now on. So I just stick the names of the books into the random, you know, name picker. And then that's how we pick the book now. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to deal with any more drama than I already have to. So At Trust Tree, we're all about lifting up others. And do you have anyone specific that really helped you at a critical point in the process? As far as writing, it would probably be my first mentor, the funeral home, mm-hmm. <laughs> Diana Hume George. I'm a fairly insecure person, and I went into that program feeling like a big imposter, like, why'd y'all let me in here, I, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly the night I was standing outside. They had this thing called study hall, which was really all the writers in the program just drinking and socializing, which is not my bag. I'm like, I, <laughs> I have a, a lot of social anxiety, which I wrote about in Death Becomes Us. And she came outside and I remember her saying, you're good. And I was like, okay. And, and she, she kind of bolstered me up, you know, through my writing and, and, you know, cause I just felt like, am I good? I don't know. You know, am I, I don't, <laughs> I don't trust that I'm good, but she, um, she was one of those people that, made me feel like I was on the right path. And so I very much appreciate her and the time she took to kind of give me the nudge to, you've got this, you can do it. I email her occasionally, pop in to talk to her. I think we all need a a cheerleader at certain points in our life just to go, you're doing okay. (laughs) You know, like last week at work, I was like, I, cause we just started back at the library and it's like some of the things I couldn't remember how to do. And I managed to do one thing with interlibrary loans. And I was like, I need a sticker. <laughs> just a- <laughs> so one of my coworkers gave me, um, I think the sticker said perfectly adequate. <laughs> They're adulting stickers. <laughs> That's perfect. So I wore that around all day. I am perfectly adequate and that's okay. So we see how the pandemic and the shutdown orders have affected authors. We had have had an author, uh, Ellie Alexander, on, and she talked about how publishing is changing for her. Do you see additional issues that are facing debut authors that some of the more established authors aren't necessarily dealing with, how it might be harder as a debut author? I think this is going to be our, our, our new normal is um, getting to know authors through video and through online events. Right now, it just feels weird. But I think, you know, with debut authors, 
you know, they get their exposure, you know, a lot of times through meeting people in person and having events in their own communities and being written about in their local newspapers. And because of this, that's not happening. But it is starting to happen in a new way. Honestly, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I think a lot of the debuts that came out probably got more press than had they just come out, you know, and nothing, there was no pandemic. Yeah. I'm just like a little, you know, nobody in this, but like a mighty blaze came out and they're doing all these, you know, they've got big guns and they're promoting these debut authors. It's just new, you know, this online promotion and interviews and, but I think it's good. I think it makes people feel closer to the author, even though they can't be right there. Yeah. So yeah, have a a deeper relationship maybe. Yeah. The last event that I went to at a bookstore, you know, it's great when you, you know, get your book signed and you get to like see the author and it's exciting, but you know, now authors, debut authors and regular old authors that have lots of books that have come out, um, and have that built-in audience, they're learning new ways to connect, you know, signing book plates, mailing them out to their people who've purchased their book to forge that connection. Because I think a lot of times people buy a book just because they like a person, especially with a debut, and they don't know anything about the book. I think that author's personality and how they're portrayed at the bookstore and their events, it, it plays an important role. Mm-hmm. In, their, in their initial sales. And then the writing eventually will speak for itself. Have you done more platform development with this novel than you did, like putting yourself out there? Mm, I th- well, I think with Death Becomes Us, with a nonfiction book, you really have to build a platform. And that's why I had I had a, the Death Writer blog and I interviewed people. I mean, I didn't, it was the same questions week after week, but it was an attempt to normalize grief to show people talking about their experiences with death. And so I did a lot of work for that. This one, I, I mean, I am doing a few things, but I think that mostly what I'm doing right now is helping to support other authors because marketing myself feels rather icky, (laughs) like me, 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 buy me, buy my book. Um, I think it's, for me, I like to be in service to other people. And right now is the perfect time to be doing that. Amen. Helping the other authors that are having their debuts right now. And, you know, my time will come. And I know one thing, we have no control over anything. And so, so it's, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. I think my arcs just went out. They're all digital. And so we'll see if any reviews come pouring (laughs) that are positive, I hope. So the feedback of the book club, what kind of feedback are you getting from the authors and and from the women that are participating in the, you know, or logging on and having comments? A few of the authors have just been really grateful. And even though their book hasn't necessarily, you know, it hasn't been selected as the book of the month, they are still participating which I love because I think for me, it's like you have to give something to get something back. So I love to see the authors that are still participating in the group and read other authors' books that are debuts. 
the people that are participating, like just the members of the group, the feedback I'm getting is that they love this. I mean, there are 1,400 and some odd members in the group. There's probably a core of 30 people who actually actively participate with the online platform of a book club, people get a little scared to put their thoughts down, like on the internet, like when we're discussing a book, because they feel like maybe, hmm, maybe I sound stupid when I comment, or maybe this isn't right. You know, but there are some people who, you know, they'll just answer a question, they have no problem. And I am so grateful for those people. And this week, actually, we're starting where we're going to do a member spotlight, where we're going to pick people like our top contributors and just spotlight them for the week and ask them questions about, you know, what's your favorite genre? What's your favorite book? Where do you buy books? What has been your favorite book during, you know, the pandemic? Just to make them feel special because without them, the authors wouldn't have the audience. So it's the readers who are the real heroes. Yeah, I love that. I do. I mean, I, I think we're all like looking for new ways to connect through all this and finding new groups that you can be a part of and, you know, networking. And I know a lot of people that read a lot are not particularly extroverted. So I almost feel like there's a little rise of the introverts during this pandemic <laughs> where we can like connect virtually and then log <laughs> off and you're done, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's all get together alone in our okay. living room. And then for, I'll leave. for a very set period of time, I will engage when I feel like engaging. It's like the perfect thing for me. It really is. I mean, the pandemic has, I mean, it hasn't really bothered me that much because I don't mind being at home and reading and you know, what scares me now is actually going out and going to the grocery store and being around people. But, you know, you have to do it because you have to eat. But yeah, this has like been the kind of a a gift for the introverts. Yeah, I feel like I've been training for this my whole life. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we should come out with tips, <laughs> introvert <laughs> tips on the pandemic. <laughs> Has anything surprised you about the book club beyond the fact that you were a little surprised by your numbers increasing so quickly? I was surprised by myself, I think, the most, because I really kind of ran with it. Like, okay, sure, I'm going to interview people and I'm going to, you know, be on I. I cannot stand looking at myself like in these, like I'll check because I'll look at my face like, am I doing the resting bitch face right now? Because I do have a tendency to do that. So I try to like, I'm smiling, I'm listening to you, yeah. Um, so I have really gotten out of my comfort zone and that's what I found the most surprising with this. I mean, I think that book lovers and authors are always going to be a great pairing together you know, I've grown throughout this just by doing these things and learning new technology and learning a little bit of how to promote this. So I surprised myself that I could do it. Once the pandemic has settled down and we're back to business as usual, how do you see the book club changing? Are you intending to continue with it? Are you? Oh, I'll definitely continue with it. Um, I think, you know, if there are in-person events, 
then people are, well, maybe not everyone. Maybe people will be like, no, we want to do them online. I mean, I have no way of knowing, but I'll definitely keep the book club online. It may be a lot smaller. We may just have these 30 core members that want to participate. But um, if I can continue to get the authors who, you know, want to participate and do a live Q&A each month, I'll keep it going indefinitely because I like meeting other authors. I think it's interesting. I want to ask them different questions than I do. You know, I'd rather talk about their writing process and that kind of thing. But most people just want to talk about the story they've written. So you think you might go a little deeper? I get to know these authors um, through just like off of, you know, the club thing. So I can ask them the questions that I want to know about their writing journey. And then, but for the club's purposes, we just talk about the book and questions that come up about their stories. And, but yeah, I definitely want to keep it going because I'm an introvert and I, and I like connecting at home in my living <laughs> with other people and then being able to go, okay, end meeting. All right. Uh, end meeting looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm about right now. <laughs> so where can people find you and find the book club? Okay. Um, you can find me on my website, which is Pamela com, And my last name is a doozy. So it's P A M E L A S as in Sam K J O L S as in Sam B as in Victor I K.com. Um, and that is also my Twitter handle, my Instagram and I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook and a personal page. And the Facebook group is actually 2020 Quarantine Book Club. So if you just type that into Facebook, it'll pop up. And you do have to answer some questions to join the club. They're very simple, but we just want to make sure that you're not a bot. I think we ask, do you have a library card? Um, what's your favorite bookstore? And maybe what's your favorite book? And have you read our rules? Because one of the big rules is you can't come in to just, you know, spam. I wrote a book and here, what? I'm going to post about it. That's not the purpose of the club. The purpose of the club is we're going to talk about this book this month and that's it. Well, thank you, Pam, for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for doing the 2020 Quarantine Book Club. I think... Groups like that were so important and continue to be important as we navigate this new normal and find new ways to be together. And Lisa, who is having tech difficulties today, is saying thank you, Pam, for your patience and for your sharing. And she learned so much, even though she wasn't able to chat. Thank you for listening to today's Trust Tree Talks. I know I enjoyed listening and uh, struggled with my ability to participate due to technology challenges, which is the real reality that we're in right now with the pandemic. If you tuned into our first season, you know we believe in shining the light on women's stories, and we hope that you enjoyed hearing Pamela's story today. Please help us to illuminate women's stories by changing the storytellers. While we tend to shy away from self-promotion, we know as women, this tends to be what we do. So instead, we believe we got to step into our awesomeness and start getting comfortable telling others the great things we're up to. So here's what we need you to do. Check us out at trusttreegroup.com. All our links are there and you can buy some really cool shit. 
subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast with your friends. Introduce us to women with stories that need to be told. Sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social media, look for our candles and our online shop or at Van Ware's kiosk in Divine Consign on Main Street in Vancouver, Washington. I'm Lisa. And I'm Elizabeth. And together we are Trust Tree.